Hey, grab your Bible real quick and go with me to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. When you get there, I want you to find the 30th chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 30. While you're turning there, let me just give you a little bit of information that leads up to this passage that we're going to read in just a moment. I'm sure almost everyone here has some level of familiarity with the story of David and Goliath. I mentioned in the message last week that was one of my favorite Old Testament stories, and I know many of you could say the same. Well, on that day when David killed Goliath, his life changed because King Saul, who was the very first king of Israel, took him back to the palace. David never returned home, and he went on to become a very successful and skilled warrior, winning many battles for the nation of Israel. As a result, Saul became jealous. Saul was an unstable man, if you know his story, and he became very jealous. And on multiple occasions, he tried to kill David, which forced David to run away and live the life of a fugitive. And at one point, while he was doing that, a very discouraged and a very desperate David made a really bad choice for his life, a really bad decision. We read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 27 and verse 1. You can see these words on the screen. It says, but David thought to himself, one of these days I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. Now, this was a really bad decision for David on a number of different levels, but let me just highlight one. It put David in a position of compromise. The Philistines were the enemies of Israel. Goliath was a Philistine. And David, going over to live in the land of the Philistines, would make it look to everyone like he was deserting God. But David went ahead and did that, and he didn't go alone. He took 600 men with their families. He went to the Philistine king, a man named Achish, and asked for a place to live and was given a place in the land of the Philistines called Ziklag, and they made that their home. Now, I'm going to have to kind of fast forward and summarize what happens next. While David and his 600 men were living in this place called Ziklag, they began to raid other villages, some of which were in the land of the Philistines. But when King Achish, the Philistine king, would come along and say, David, what have you been doing? David said, I've been raiding villages in the land of Judah. Or in other words, I've been raiding villages in my own country. And the reason why David got away with this is because the Bible says that every village that he raided or in every village that he raided, he didn't leave a single person alive who could inform on him, dead men tell no tales. And everything seemed to be going just perfect for David until one day when he gets what can only be described as a draft notice from King Achish, the king of the Philistines. Look at the screen, verses, uh, verse 1 of 1 Samuel 28. It says, in those days the Philistines gathered their forces to fight against Israel. Remember, that's David's home. Those are his countrymen. Achish said to David, you must understand that you and your men will accompany me in the army. Now, I can guarantee you, folks, that David never thought that was something that was going to happen, and he never wanted something like that to happen. He didn't want to have to fight alongside the Philistines against his countrymen, but King Achish was cashing in a favor. David had come to him and asked for safe haven. He had given it to him, and now he's asking David to repay the favor. It didn't seem like there was any way out. So David and his 600 men gathered at the designated place along with all the Philistine armies. And fortunately for David, when the other Philistine commanders saw him there, they said, whoa, wait a minute. No way I'm going to go into battle with this guy. This is the man who killed Goliath. This is David whom the women of Israel would sing about Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. There's no way that we're going to trust this guy into battle. And so King Achish was forced. He had no other choice. He was forced to send David and his 600 men back home 
to Ziklag. And so on the way home, David had to have been feeling very fortunate. He didn't think he was gonna, there was any way to get out of this, and now he's gotten a reprieve, and he's not going to have to fight against his countrymen. And he thought things were really going well, but he never, ever thought he would discover what he did when he got home to Ziklag. And that brings us to 1 Samuel chapter 30. So if your Bibles are open there, stand with me. Wherever you are, in reverence and respect for God's Word, like we always do, as we make the public reading of Scripture a part of our service, and you follow along as I read verses 1 through 6, all of you folks across the street and those of you joining us online. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal at Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Okay, there it is. You can be seated, and we pray God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. As I said, David had to have been feeling encouraged as he went home to Ziklag until he got there. He and his 600 men found that the Amalekites had come, and they had taken away their wives and their children. They'd taken everything that they had, and they'd burned their home, that village, to the ground. And you get the full impact of how devastating this was for David and his 600 men in verse 4, where we read, David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. It was a devastating discovery, and things just got worse from there as David found out that his men began to turn on him and blame him for their loss. And why wouldn't they blame David for their loss? David was the one who had organized the raids in the land of the Philistines that I'd mentioned a moment ago, and some of those raids victimized the Amalekites. They were angry about what had happened to them. David was the one who had taken all of them to a place called Aphek to line up with the Philistine armies to fight the Israelites. He had taken all of them away and left their homes and their families unprotected. David was their leader. Why wouldn't they be upset and angry with David and want to get even with him? And so David was under tremendous amount of distress in this moment. By the time we read this story, listen to me, every look up here, David has been a, running away from Saul, living as a fugitive for about 10 years. 10 years he'd been a man on the run. He had suffered a devastating loss. Both of his wives, his children were gone. And now his men are plotting against him. So what does he do? Well, I love the very last words of 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6 where it says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. In fact, I like the way, that's my NIV Bible, I like the way it reads in the King James Bible where it says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. But what does that mean? How do we find, how does anyone in the midst of an incredibly difficult time in their life, in the midst of great loss, or when you're living under the burden of a great trial or a lot of pressure, how does anyone find strength in the Lord their God? How do we find encouragement in the Lord? Well, it's really just this simple. So write this down in your notes. It sounds simple. I know it's not easy to do, but it sounds simple. We have to find a way to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto God. We have to find a way to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto God. I know that's difficult to do, but that's what is necessary. When I think of David in the Bible, I think of a man who was so incredibly gifted that he could probably operate very successfully for a long time apart from God. Why do I say that? 
Well, if you just read about David's life in the Old Testament, you see that he was handsome, he was strong, he was a gifted musician, he was a mighty warrior. Women were attracted to him. Men wanted to be him. He was a natural-born leader. In later years, those qualities would serve him well and help him to become the greatest king that the nation of Israel ever knew. But one of the most important lessons David needed to learn before he got to that point was to not rely on himself and his own abilities, but to rely on God and God alone. And so David, I really believe this is true, had to encounter a difficulty that was so extreme that it caused him to come to the end of himself, so he had no other choice but to look up and to see God. And it's the same way with you and me. I don't know whatever circumstance you might have walked in here with today or what you might be dealing with as you watch wherever you might be. I don't know what kind of distress you've got in your life, what pressure you're feeling, what burden you're carrying. I don't know what kind of loss you've encountered. But I know that you can find strength in the Lord your God if you come to the end of yourself and put your focus and your attention on God alone. And when you do that, when David did that, there are certain things about God that we need to remember. There are certain things that we need to remind ourselves of about God. I think this happened for David just based on his writings in the Psalms. Let me give you three things real quickly. Write these down. First, when you come to the end of yourself and you turn your attention to God, you've got to remind yourself of all that God has done for you. You've got to remind yourself of all that God has done for you. You know what? When you read the Bible, you see that God has a history of being faithful to His people. How many of you know that's true? God has a history of being faithful to His people. Now, in contrast to that, people have a history of falling down. People have a history of wandering off. People have a history of giving up. But God has a history of being faithful and bringing us back and cleaning us up and giving us a fresh start. That's the reality of God. David knew that. And you see that all throughout his psalms because he reminds himself of that. For example, in Psalm 34, 4, David says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. This is David's memory. God has delivered me in the past from all my fears. Psalm 40, verses 1 and 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. David's reminding himself that when he waited for the, the Lord, when he was patient with God, that God delivered him. He lifted him up out of the difficult circumstance he was in and put his feet on solid ground. I'm telling you, when difficult times come, the first thing that we need to do if we want to find strength and encouragement in the Lord our God is we need to remember... We need to remember all the things God has done for us. So let me give you a little bit of a, a challenge today. Let me give you a little bit of a homework. I, I use two verses in that point, Psalm 34 and verse 4 and Psalm 40 verses 1 and 2. Write those down in your notes. It's Sunday. It's the first day of the week. Here's my challenge to you. At some point today and every day for the rest of this week, I want you to pause and read those two passages. It's just three verses. It won't take you any time at all. And then I want you to get out a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil. I want you to write, make a list each day of some of the good things God has done for you in the past. How has God blessed you in the past? How has God answered your prayers in the past? In the past? How has God delivered you in the past? How has God sustained you in the past? Make a list. Write it down. Tuck it in the back of your Bible. And make sure you never leave it, lose it, because that's the first thing that we do to find strength in the Lord our God. We remind ourselves of what God has done for us. Number two, you need to remind yourself of what God has done through you. 
And this is so important because I think when we find ourselves in difficult moments and under times of duress and we're in distress and we're struggling and we've had loss in our life or whatever it might be, we tend to begin to think that we're a loser. We tend to begin to think that God doesn't, He can't use us, that our life is not very worthwhile, but we need to pause and remind ourselves of what God has done through us in the past. David did that. In Psalm 18 and verse 50, David writes this about God. He gives kings great victories. David was an incredible general in the army of Israel. He had incredible victories, and he knew that they came from God. In Psalm 21.1, he writes, O Lord, the king rejoices in your strength. How great is his joy in the victories you give. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of what God has done for us, but also what God has done through us. How God, in spite of our imperfection and our inadequacy and our weakness has used us in the past. It might be in dramatic ways. It might be in very seemingly insignificant ways, but we can find those things. The third thing we need to do to find strength and encouragement in the Lord our God, number one, remind yourself of what God has done for you. Number two, remind yourself of what God has done through you. Number three, my encouragement is that you remind yourself of what God has planned for you. Because listen to me, Whatever you're going through right now in this moment, whatever trial, whatever burden, whatever loss you're experiencing in this moment, I want you to listen to me and I want you to believe me, even if it doesn't feel this way to you, this is not the end of your story. It's not the end of your story. It's not. Not as long as you've got a heart beating in your chest and a faith in a God who is sovereign, this is not the end of your story. No question, the most famous psalm, the most well-known psalm David wrote was the 23rd psalm. In Psalm 23 and verse 6, David writes this about God, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all, everyone say all, all the days of my life, all the days of my life. God's not done with your life. Whatever you're experiencing right now, that's not the end of your story. Don't ever believe that. In Psalm 37 and verse 6, David writes this about God. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. You ever feel like you've been oppressed? You ever feel like you're being persecuted? You ever feel like you've been misunderstood and, and forces are against you? But when you know that you're in the right, you know that you're in the place that God wants you to be, you need to trust in words like this because this is what God will do. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. The bottom line is you can find strength and encouragement in the Lord your God even in the most difficult time of your life just like David did if you can come to the end of yourself and look up and focus your attention on God and God alone. You know what? Nothing helps me to do that. Focus my attention on God and God alone. Nothing helps me to do that more like a service like this where we sing songs of praise to God, where we worship God. These songs, both the new and the old, the new ones that I love, the old ones that I remember from my days uh, as a boy growing up in church, they turn my heart toward God. There's just something about singing His praise that helps me to see Him with great clarity. A German pastor named Martin Rinkart served in the walled city of Eilenburg, Germany during the horrors of what was known as the Thirty-Year War. took place from 1618 to 1648. The city of Eilenburg became an overcrowded city filled with refugees from the surrounding areas. And They came there with a variety of different diseases, and they experienced famine while they were there. It was a very difficult time. At the beginning of 1637, which was called the year of the great pestilence, there were four ministers, four ministers serving the people there in the city of Eilenburg. One abandoned his post for a healthier area and could not be persuaded to return, and Pastor Rinkhart 
officiated at the funerals of the other two. And so whether we're once four to care for all of these people, all of these hurting, wounded, sick, dying people, now there's just one. History says that during that year, the year of great pestilence, that Pastor Rinkhart conducted funeral services for as many as 40 to 50 people a day. Over the course of that year, 4,480 people died in total. By the end of the year, there were so many deaths among the refugees that they just had to simply be buried in trenches without any service at all because there were too many of them to care for. In that same year, Pastor Rinkert's own wife died, and he suffered that great personal loss. And yet living in that city and living in that environment dominated by darkness and death and grief and sorrow, Pastor Rinkert sat down one day and wrote the following prayer for his children that ended up becoming a song. Listen to these words. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands and voices, who wondrous things hath done in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath led us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you do that? How do you write and sing and pray about a God who gives countless gifts of love when every day you're surrounded by nothing but darkness and death and grief. How do you do that? You do it by taking your eyes off yourself and focusing your eyes, your heart, your attention on God alone, this sovereign God who in spite and despite our circumstances is the same God who has cared for us in the past, who has worked through our lives, and who is not done with us today.